invited me back today was simply because he owed me one, you know what I mean? And so, Mel, thank you for that introduction. I'm glad you didn't tell the people you've been sick all week, and you know, we, we threw this together yesterday. Uh, I drove up, but no, in all seriousness, uh, you guys have an awesome pastor, don't you? Uh, you do. And uh, he had lots of opportunity to, to pastor, and I'm so God, glad God led him uh, close to where we're at in Columbus. My wife and his wife are great friends, and they've just been a great couple and encouragement to us since we've been in ministry. And uh, my wife and kids, I have uh, my wife Jess, she will be here probably by the end of service, but she's getting our two children uh, ready for church this morning. I have a daughter who uh, will be four in October and a son who will be two in October. And so they are a blessing to my life and I definitely wouldn't be where I am without them today. It's been said that a good sermon has to have a good opening and a good close, and the most important part of that is to keep it as close together as possible, right? And so today, I am going to do the very best I can to to get you out of here on time, and as Pastor Mel started the series last week in Philippians, Paul is writing from prison, and in verses 1 through 18 that that he covered last week, Paul's a church planner, so I, I like Paul already, right? The guy is planning churches, he's a missionary at heart. He's traveling around, you know, starting these new works. And so at this time, he's kind of under house arrest for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's kind of bound and under the watch of these Roman guards who are taking care of him and making sure he's staying where he needs to be. But the cool thing in chapter one, as he starts to say, is that his imprisonment actually hasn't stopped the movement of the gospel but it actually was, was helping it, that others were getting saved, that the, the jailers were getting saved, that all these people were coming to know God. How many of you know that God's awesome like that, right? That in the midst of, an, of a bad situation, he can take it and make it for his good. That's what his word says. And In fact, Paul goes on to write that in Romans, that he says that God can take anything and work it for, to his good for those who are called according to his purpose and love him. And so he's under this troop, but the, under the watch of these guards, but God is still doing a great work. The gospel is getting preached, and so today, if you have your Bible or your smartphone or whatever it is, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be going through verses 19 through 30 today. I've titled this message, Live or Die, May God Be Glorified. Look at your neighbor and say, live. Come on, look at your neighbor. I know it's early, but you already had your coffee. Wake up a little bit. Live or die, may God be glorified. So really, the, Paul, the question I think this whole chapter kind of sums up is, 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 is whatever we do, so how can my life, living, because we're all alive in here this morning, amen, that is how, if I'm living for God, what can I do, what do I need to do to bring the most glory to him? Because that is the purpose of our life. And so in verses 1 through, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, Paul says this. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. Right there is a good statement. Because remember where he's at. He's in prison, right? He's saying, even while I'm in prison, even while I'm bound and shackled, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die for to me so Paul had this revelation for to me he's saying living is Christ and dying is gain so what can we learn quickly from these this this passage of scripture 1921 is this 
God isn't asking you to die for him. Can I get an amen? Right? We don't want to die. He's not asking you to die for him, but he just wants you to live boldly for him. I love that. God doesn't ask us to die for him. How many of you feel blessed that we live in a country where we're under no persecution today? You did not wake up this morning in fear of coming through these doors to worship God. We did it with freedom. We did it without fear because we live in a great nation. There's Christians, millions of them all over the world this morning who woke up in fear to worship their God, that they do it in secrecy because they will be killed. I don't know if you've paid any attention to the news where this woman in Sudan who was going to be hung and killed because she would not renounce her Christian faith. So we live in a great place where we don't have to fear death out of serving God. So Paul, on the other hand, is possibly fearing death. He's looking at that today. But in our circumstances today, we don't have to fear death. God isn't asking you to die for him. But what he does ask for every believer is that you live boldly, boldly for him. I don't want to leave out verse 19 because Paul's saying that, that he's not alone in his suffering. That he is strengthened by the people, by the church in Philippi who is lifting him up in prayer and by the power of the Spirit of God that's living inside of him. And Paul goes on in chapter 4, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but in chapter 4 we know that scripture, Philippians 4.13, where Paul says, I can do anything, all things, through Christ who gives me the strength to do it. So he's referencing the Holy Spirit saying, man, God can get me through anything. He's going to get me through this imprisonment, and I'm thankful for the believers who are supporting me. But today, what I think we need to realize is, is Jesus didn't just come to give you the, uh, the security of eternal life. That's a great benefit we have in following Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life to heaven, that we have the promise of spending eternity with him, but he also came to give you life, life to the full, life that's meaningful, and life that is full of purpose to make a difference for his kingdom. When we took a step of faith to plant a church, because that's what you have to do, there's so many unknowns when you plant a church. Now, Columbus, Ohio is my hometown. That's where I was born and raised. So we had some familiar things that we were going back to. We had a good group of people who we know would support us in planting the church. But there's so many things that, that are just unknown in, 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 in planting a church. And just like it is in your life, there's no guarantee of anything in life. Life is full of challenges, but it's exciting and meaningful. That, that life should be adventurous. That's why we called it Adventure Church. So many people have this perception that church is boring, that it's full of rules and regulations, and that actually when you come to Christ, he's going to put you in this box, and, and you're just going to want to just get out of it, and you can't escape all these things. But man, those of you who have walked with God for any certain amount of time realize that, that God actually sets us free, that he breaks us out of the box. He breaks us out of the curse of sin to live in full experience of who he is and what he desires to do in our life. Living for God should never be boring. And if it is, you're not doing it right. It should be adventurous. We should be able to live boldly for God. We should be able to get to the edge and sometimes not know What's going to happen when we step out? Because God has required us to live by faith and not by sight. And that's what we do planning churches. That's what we do living our life for God. That if there's, ever, if there's never any risk, there's rarely going to be a reward. No risk, no reward. I tell our people that all the time. We have to be willing to step out, to take bold risk for God because he desires to use our life, to make a difference. And Paul, in his passage, is saying, whether I live or die, it doesn't matter because I want God to be glorified in my life. 
but God will never be glorified if you always play it safe and you can always look to yourself and realize like, could have God have done that or could I have done that on my own? God wants you to step out. He wants us to live in faith because he wants to do things in only the way that he can be glorified. That's what happens when we plant a church. You know, when, when we began this, this, this planting this church, there's so many unknowns. We knew where we wanted to go. We didn't have any idea who was really going to come with us. We didn't know who our staff was going to be. We didn't know the building that we would meet in. None of those things were unknown. We went to prepare that and for God to do that. And so I was kind of doing things the way I like to do it. I like to control everything, right? So I had found this school, and, and, and I, before we even moved back, I was home at Christmas visiting some family, and I went and met with the principal, and, you know, brought the janitor some donuts, and was like, hey, you know, we want to plant a church, we want to use this school, we can use this gym, and they were like, yeah, we'd love to have you, it'd be great, and so I was like, man, amen, God already answered a prayer right there, how cool is that, and so we, uh, we come back, and we're preparing, and I get a call one day, and, and it's the principal from the school, and she says, hey, Kyle, I'm really sorry she goes, but the janitor doesn't want to work on Sundays anymore. And I said, well, well what, what do you mean? It's, well, you, we had it all worked out. She said, he, he, he has a family. He just decided that he didn't want the overtime, that he would just rather stay home. And she goes, and I'm sorry, we can't let you come into our school without any janitor here. And so I was like, well, can I pay him more? She's like, no, he works for a union. That's all regulated. I'm like, well, can you give me his phone number? She's like, no, I can't do that either. And so it was just a closed door. That fast, boom, back to square one, have no idea where we're going to meet. And so being me, I called up one of the guys who was on our kind of our launch team, and I was like, we're going out. We're going to go find another place to meet immediately. I called him. He's like, all right, let's go. It's snowing. The roads are bad. And I'm looking at like a like warehouse space and this space. I'm like, maybe we could retrofit it. And I literally was doing a U-turn in this parking lot because I was trying to get back to somewhere else, and I make a U-turn, and I see this sign that says, Hotel and Conference Center. It's literally like less than a mile from my home on the busiest intersection in our city. And I said, what is this? And the guy I was with, he's lived there 10 years. He said, I don't know, I think it's a nursing home or something. I said, it says Hotel and Conference Center. You mean to say that this hotel is putting up senior citizens and taking care of, he's like, I don't know. So we drive up, some guy was shoveling and throwing salt down on the sidewalk, and I said, I said, what is this place? He says, well, we have a conference center, we have ballrooms, we have all of this stuff, and so to make a long story short, for the sake of we went into the building, and uh, they were doing a corporate event for a, uh, a, a big hair salon in Columbus called Charles Pinzone. So there's all these hairdressers there, right? And so I walk in wearing uh, like a sweatshirt and some Nike sweatpants, and they start looking at me like, what are you doing here at our hair salon event? And I just said, oh, I'm in the wrong place, you know. And so I immediately left because I just fell out of place. And so I go home, I get on their website, fill out a generic contact us form, briefly explain what we wanted to do. Two days later, God opened that door, and we are still meeting in that place, extended our agreement through next year. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility. It's ten times better than the school that we would, that I was trying to get us in, that God literally dropped it in my lap when I was making a U-turn. I had no idea what it was, and it's been a huge, huge blessing to our church. I could tell you story after story, but, but the challenge is in life, if we can live surrendered to God, willing to take a step of faith, how many of you know that God leads us and directs our life? That's what he does. That's the business he's in. So he says we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't go what we can see and what we can understand and what we can comprehend. He says that's not how it works with me. 
for me to be glorified, you have to walk by faith. So that means you walk in an area that you don't know, but you know who's walking with you. That you're not walking alone and that the Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. So we don't walk along. So Paul is saying, live or die, may God be glorified. But today what God is saying to you is, is he's not asking you to die for him. He just wants you to live boldly for him. Adventurous so that God can be glorified through your life. So to live for Christ is to bring him glory. Right? That's what we do. That's what our life is for. Is to bring him glory. To die is to be with Christ in his glory. That's the benefit of following God, that either way, live or die, Paul's saying either way, it's a win-win. We're in a win-win situation that we get to follow God. So Paul says we have to live boldly for him. And then in Philippians 1, verses 22 through 26, Paul goes on and says this, Now if I am to go on living, which he, he did in this body, this will mean productive work for me. Yet I don't know which I prefer. I am torn between the two because I have a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more vital for your sake that I remain in the body. And since I am sure of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your sake of progress and joy in the faith. So that what you can be proud of may increase because of me in Christ Jesus when I come back to you. And so what we need to learn here, that is if there's breath in your lungs, there is purpose for your life. Everybody take a deep breath right now. Go, <gasps> oh, so you just answered the question. There's breath in your lungs, no matter how old or young today you are in this place, that if God, for in his, whatever reason, in his sovereignty, has chosen to continue to give you breath, because how many of you know it comes from him, right? We don't breathe on our own. God gives us the life. He gives us health. He gives us the opportunity to live for him. So if there's breath in your lungs, there is a purpose for your life. But what we should realize here too is some of us, I think, we get so caught up in maybe our purpose and in this life that we forget about the eternal life that's waiting for us. Like Paul was saying, look, I got purpose here still and I need to fulfill it. And God's not going to take me home until I do it. I would rather go and be with him because that's better for me. How many of you know that the that no matter what's going on in this world, no matter how good you think you may have it or about it, that it's, it's better to be in heaven with God. Amen? We should long to be with God. We should long for Jesus to come back. We get to, we get to enjoy that experience. We get to enjoy the, the promise, the benefit of following God, that that should be in your heart where you go, Jesus, I long to be with you. But until then, as long as you Give me breath. As long as you have me here on this earth, may I realize that there is a purpose for it. That God has a purpose for your existence. He wants to, to make a difference with your life, but we have to live our lives with intentionality. We have to live our lives according to God's purpose because it's your choice to do that. I would love if God would have pre-programmed me to kind of be a rock'em sock'em robot, Right? And I just would do whatever he said at his command. But how many of you know God gives us free will to choose what we want to do? Today you chose to come here. And thank God you did. You could have stayed home. You could have went to Dunkin' Donuts. You could have done whatever. But you, you made a choice to come here. You made a choice to sit wherever you sat this morning. You probably sit in the same place every week, don't you? Because we don't like change. We don't like to mix things up. 
All of you. I, next week I could come back, you'd all be right kind of in the same spot. Our church has been, existed for nine months and people sit in the same spot every week. I mess with them sometimes. I'm like, first thing we're going to do today, we're going to flip-flop. You go sit over there, all of you go sit over here. And they're like, oh man, like, man, I don't like you from that angle, Pastor Kyle, you know. Your profile's better from that side, you know. And it, because we don't like to deal with change, but we get to choose whatever we want to do. And what is your purpose? What is your purpose? What is our purpose as a church? What is the purpose for, for Summit Church? The church is the hope of the world. And you are the church. You are the hope of the world. Starbucks can't deliver what you can. Walmart can't. Nobody can. Giant Eagle Express can't. I like that you have Giant Eagle Expresses. We got Giant Eagles, but we don't have Express Giant Eagle. I can't get out of the Giant Eagle quick enough. I need an Express one. It's like a glorified gas station, right? That's a cool place. I was like, Mel, I want to come back just for the Giant Eagle Express. But they can't, they can't do what we can do. They're not the hope of the world. We're the hope of the world. People all around you in this community, in this university, are starving for truth. They're starving for the purpose that you have in Christ. They're starving to know who Jesus is and the purpose that he has for our lives. That we have good news. It's good news. There's enough bad news in our world today. There's enough of it. People want good news. The Bible says that's what the gospel stands for. The message of Jesus is good news for people. They need good news. They need to know that Jesus died for them. They need to know that he has a purpose for their life. And for whatever reason, God chose to use messed up people like you and me to deliver that good news. That's why we planted our church. Our church and our community is the fastest growing area in the state of Ohio. It's always in the top five in the nation. We have some big industry there. Chase Operations Headquarters, five minutes down the road, employs about 15,000 people in our area. Cardinal Health is there. There's Abercrombie and Fitch and Limited Brand Headquarters, all these places in our community. Young families are flocking to this area, and because of its exponential growth in the last 10 years, it's the most unchurched area in our state. People are there looking for purpose, looking for meeting, and that's why we decided to plant a church there, in that community. And praise God, since we started our church, 80 people have made commitments to say, I need that good news. Thank you for sharing that good news with me. I want to respond to that. Amen. God is doing a great work in just the last nine months. One story, there's a family, uh, Brian and Tiffany, and they are a, a very awesome couple that my wife and I have got to connect with. And my wife does these aerobic classes at this studio. They don't have any weights, so I don't go there. You know what I mean? Like they do cycling and these weird aerobic yoga stuff, and my wife gets into that, and she, so she goes and works out there, and she met this lady there, and they kind of developed a little bit of a relationship, but nothing too significant, but somehow we put on an egg hunt in our community. Those are good events to have. I heard your guys' egg hunt was awesome. We were planning for about 300 people, and 700 people showed up to our first egg hunt that we did. So she was one of the, I was freaking out, man. I promise you, it was like a moment of just pure panic, they were like, we need more candy. I was like, I'll go. I'll go get the candy. I just need to get out of here. It was stressful. There was like a line of 100 people lined up to register. And then I look out to the street, and it was like field of dreams, man. There was like another 1,000 cars. I said, oh, dear Lord, what are we going to do? 
go to Walmart right now, and we just bought more candy. We were just throwing it out, man. It was, it was chaos. But she came to that event, and she saw my wife, and she goes, I've seen you wearing your T-shirt at the gym. This is your church. And she said, yes, plug for your T-shirt. Wear your T-shirt, you know what I mean? Wear your shirt. People look at that stuff. They realize that. Plus, you got cool pirate penguin Steeler colors, right? So wear those things. Get, that, get the word out about your church. So she comes to that, and then she comes, and a guy who was a Catholic who had gotten saved at our church about three months earlier, she sees him at the egg hunt, and it's her boss. She's like, you're my, oh, this is the, she's connected all the dots. The next week they came, her and her husband both, brought their four kids with them. Her and her husband both raised their hand to receive Christ. In three weeks on July 20th, they're both going to be baptized at our first baptism service. People want to hear the good news. She sent me a message. She says, Kyle, we're so thankful for Adventure Church. We're so thankful that we found it and, and that, that God led us here. She said, I've never been in church in my entire life except for a wedding. As a child, as an adult, she's 35 years old. She had never been to church before. We think that's nearly impossible in our country. It's not. There's thousands of people living in your neighborhoods who have never had a genuine encounter with Jesus, with the good news. And someone, we go, they don't even want to hear it. I wouldn't have thought that she probably wanted to hear it, but she heard the good news, she responded to it, and it's changing her life and her family's life. That's the power of the gospel. That's what God wants to do. And so if there is breath in your lungs, there is purpose in your life, and your purpose is to share the good news, is to tell those people sitting across the cubicle from you, working with you, at the, the grocery store, wherever you go, that you have good news to share with them about what God is doing in your life. So what would the community here, what would Indiana, Pennsylvania say about the Summit Church? If, they, if you interact with them, yesterday we were eating at a restaurant, the, what was it called, Pastor Mom? The, the county. We were eating there, and the waitress was there, and she lives from out of town, but she's moving here to go to school, and she's coming back and forth. And so I just said, hey, what are you doing here? And me and Pastor Mel engaged in a conversation, and we said, you should come to the Summit Church. She'd never heard of it yet. It's right down the road here. It's not far. You're going to be coming to school here. I said, it's really cool. They got great people. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm preaching tomorrow. If you can come, it'll be just in those moments like that, you can invite someone. She didn't look at us weird. She didn't say, you know, and hopefully you tipped her pretty well, Pastor Mel, because you bought lunch. I really appreciate that. <laughs> but, but that's all you have to do, right? That's all we got to do. So what would the community say about this place? I know Pastor Mel and, and Kim have bragged on you guys, how you've embraced them and what a loving group of people you are. But how many of you know the love that we have has to go outside of these walls? For it to make a difference. God doesn't want us just to come to a, a social gathering or a Christian country club and get our worship and get our word and then go home and keep it to ourselves. That's not the purpose because if that was the purpose, if God just wanted you to meet him and have the promise of eternity with him, he would take you to heaven as soon as you died, right? Because otherwise he'd be a cruel God to make you suffer and, and, and toil in this world and labor. And so his purpose isn't for just you to know him, but once you know him, as you say, I got good news, it's time for me to share it. Amen? Man, I'm, I'm preaching a lot better than you're talking to me today. But we get sidetracked by the American dream, right? 
We get sidetracked. I'm working for me. I'm, I got to get this raise. I got to get this promotion. I got to get a better house. I got to get a better car. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But here today, I'm going to tell you something. God could care less about your American dream. He does not care. He does not care about the dream of, of, of getting things, material things. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. But God is more interested in you building his kingdom than he is in you building yours. And if our only focus, if the only thing we do with the giftings and the talents that God has given us, if the only thing we do with those and, and, the, and the resources that he has blessed you with and through the job that he's given you because he gives it all, the Bible says every good thing comes from God. You didn't deserve it. None of us deserve anything good from him. He is merciful and graceful where he gives us those things and blesses us, but he does it for a purpose. He does it for a reason, and it's for you to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Today, you have to realize that no matter your profession, no matter what you do for a living, that you have a purpose to share the good news. Paul goes on in Philippians uh, 1, 27 through 30, he says, Now, and only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come to see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm, one spirit, with one mind, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel, and by not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, a sign which is from God. Jesus paid a high price for you. It was free, but it wasn't cheap. He paid a high price. And Paul's saying, make sure you live your life in a manner that's worthy of what Jesus did for you. Worthy that God, my life, would bring glory to you. Live or die, may you be glorified. So what does that mean? That we need to represent Christ well, individually and corporately. You represent Jesus and his sacrifice to the world around you. How many of you have kids? Or ha you, you got kids, right? Two and four, two and, uh, almost two, almost four is where mine at. How many of your kids act like fools like mine do when you go out in public? It's embarrassing. We were at the restaurant five minutes yesterday. My daughter will not sit in her seat. She's running around the restaurant. My son is crying, and there's already about 25 million goldfish and graham crackers on the floor. I usually travel with a vacuum cleaner just so I'm not embarrassed because my kids can just act like fools, right? And I'm going, oh, Riley, can you please, you know, daddy's a pastor. He's like, I don't care what you do. I want it my way. And she can just act like, you know, a, a three-year-old. That's what she acts like. And it just, it can embarrass me and it challenges me and, and, and my wife, the Poor woman is with them all the time. You know, I, I, don't, I don't even understand it, but she can just, they can just act like it. And what I'm trying to teach her, right, is that she is a reflection of me. That if my kid acts like a fool, it's a reflection, not really on her, right? When you see a kid acting like a fool at Walmart, what do you do? You look at their mom and dad, you're like. You don't look at them, you're like, oh, poor kid, you know, that uh, makes sense, you know, look at your, <laughs> that's what we think. And so I'm, I'm trying to get her to act in a way that represents mommy and daddy well, because they are a reflection of me. 
But how many of you know the way that God set up this system with you living your purpose is that you are a reflection of him? That your heavenly father looks down and he probably looks at me sometimes and he goes, oh, dear Lord. And I called you to ministry. Like, what was I thinking kind of moments where I just I act a fool sometimes. And thankfully, his grace is sufficient. His grace will enable us to live and to, to continue to move forward for his purpose. But we represent Jesus to our world around you. Some of you, some of the people you interact with, you're the only Jesus they're ever going to see. So Paul says, live in a way that's worthy of the price that Christ paid for you. That when people see you, they will see Jesus. So how do we do that? People are constantly watching you. Believe it or not. If they know you're a believer, they are watching you. So we have to make sure that, that we represent Christ well. We, we handle ourselves in a way that's worthy of the gospel. I saw Pastor Mel's summit sticker on our car, and I have literally have people who are new in their walk with God who said, Kyle, I'm getting so close to being able to put the Adventure Church sticker on my car. But I don't want to misrepresent you just yet trying to get some road rage under control, you know. <laughs> trying to make sure I don't tell people they're number one still kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like he's, they're trying and they're being honest, so we, we can't just wear the t-shirt. We got to live the lifestyle. We have to show people who Jesus is. We should be bearing fruit with our lives. Our lives should have convincing evidence that we are a follower of Jesus, that people should be able to look at you and see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the way that you live. And corporately, you should be unified together around the vision of Summit Church, realizing that God desires to use this body to make a difference in this community. The impact that you could have, as Paul is saying, if you live in one mind, in one spirit, arm in arm, linked up, taking on the kingdom of darkness with the good news of Jesus Christ, making a difference, Paul says, we have to represent Christ well by serving, by showing up, by being active in the life of this church, by giving of yourself and the talents and the things that God has gifted you with to make a difference for his kingdom, supporting your pastors, getting behind the vision, lifting them up and saying, we're with you, arm in arm, of one mind, of one spirit, of one vision to say, we're going to make a difference in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Represent Christ well individually and corporately. And Paul closes out this chapter, verses 29 through 30. He says, for it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to also suffer for him. Mm. And I was preaching real good until that one, huh? Suffer. Suffer for him. Since you are encountering the same conflict that you saw me face, and now hear that I am facing. They were being persecuted. I love the message translation. It says, stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before opposition. There's far more to life than just trusting in Christ. There's far more than, than to your life than just trusting in what Jesus did for you. He says, there's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much as a gift as the trusting. The suffering is as much as a gift as the trusting. What he's saying here is that no matter what you're going through, what you need to realize is, is that God uses our pain for a purpose. That's the benefit of suffering. He redeems our pain. 
And no matter what is going on, he says, the way that you can get through this is by focusing your life on Jesus, by investing yourself in what he has called you to do. And our pain should never push, should never push us from God, or should push us to God, I'm sorry, not pull us from him. A lot of times we start going through the suffering part in our walk with God, and we start distancing ourselves from him. God, how could you allow this to happen? Why did you do this? Paul's saying, that shouldn't do that. What should it do is that when we face that, we go, God, there's purpose. You redeem my pain. I'm going to draw close to you in the midst of it. How many of you know it's easier to walk, to get through the, the trials and the difficult times when you're walking with God, not distancing yourself from him? So we have to make sure that we push ourselves to God. Paul says, live or die, may God be glorified. And we're good. We can live for God when things are going good. But he's saying, actually, you know, that, that when, if you're living, living in pain, God still has a purpose even in that. Again, context, he's preaching from prison. So why does Paul say that? It's because we can learn more through our suffering than we do our success. We learn more through our suffering than our success. I'll be quick. I'm running out of time. And but, but our daughter, she's, four, she's almost four now, but when she was born, she, she was born with, we had no clue, she was born with a rare heart defect called Tetralogy of Fallot. She had some issues with her pulmonary artery, there was actually four things wrong, and she had to have open heart surgery at five weeks old. We had just moved to plant a different church, we were planting, and we had, we'd went all in for that plan, and we had sold our home, and, and it was like, man, you know, we, we, we felt like we were, we were right in the middle of, of God's will for our life, and then boom. This happens. And I'll be honest with you, in, in, in my flesh, and in, 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 I was going, God, we, look what we're doing for you. We're church planners. I sold my house. I moved into an apartment. I got a job. I'm working full time. My wife and I are giving everything for your purpose and for your kingdom. And, and why is this happening to me? I shouldn't have to suffer. I should be in the middle of your blessing right now. I had those moments, and, and, and we went through that, and, and the reality is, is that we live in a fallen world. That God did not choose for us to have to suffer. That man made a choice, and as you have made choices, we live in a fallen world, and suffering comes with life. It's not if you will suffer, it's just a matter of when you will suffer. And Paul's saying, you are going to suffer, but there's reason for it. And what's most important is that it's not what happens to us that matters as more as what happens inside of us. That we, we don't pull ourselves away from God, we push to God. And today some of you are in the middle of that trial and that pain in this moment. I'm there, I'm suffering, I'm, I'm in the middle of a difficult situation. And today you have to decide something. You have to decide to put your trial on trial. You have to be the jury. And say, God, how am I going to respond to this? What's going to be the verdict in this? Are you going to choose to, to draw close to him? Or are you going to choose to pull away from him? The more you focus on your problem, the bigger it will become. But the more you focus on God, the bigger he will become. God uses our pain for a purpose. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, the band can come. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sin, that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race before us looking to Jesus the founder the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross 
despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. How do you persevere through your problem? How do you persevere through your pain? You look to Jesus. Because he faced the greatest opposition, the greatest trial, the greatest pain known to any human in the world when he hung on that cross for you and me. And he said the way Jesus got through it is that he was looking beyond his problem to the greater purpose for his life. And as he hung on that cross, Jesus did not want to die. He was in the garden the night before, right? He says, God, if there's any other way, let's figure it out right now. He says he was so burdened with what he was going to have to go through that he was sweating blood. He didn't want to die, but he endured the greatest death, the greatest suffering.